Welcome to In The Room, episode number one. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm excited to have you for the first episode of the podcast. If you don't know, I am the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me at ryanhughley.com and also on Twitter at at Ryan Hughley, that's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. Now, the concept of the podcast is simple. I want to bring you into the room with pastors, authors, and artists for conversations about the craft of ministry. And on this first episode, I'm blessed to be talking with Pastor Matt Chandler. He's the lead pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, and he's also the president of the Acts 29 Network. Matt is one of the most downloaded preachers on iTunes and is one of those rare leaders who has an increasing influence across multiple tribes. Now, in our conversation, Matt discusses why he believes he's able to speak to audiences so directly and still remain so loved. We also talk about what aspect of his preaching young preachers should not replicate, as well as the difficulty of discussing sexuality as a Christian in our culture. So I want to invite you into the room for my conversation with Matt Chandler. So I remember my first impression of you was just being really struck at how direct you were and how you would speak very difficult things to people. But as a listener, I still like wanted more. Sure. And, uh, so I'm curious to know, you have to be aware of the fact that yeah. you have a unique ability to do that. James McDonald, there's other people that have that yeah. same ability. So I'm just curious to know how, like, how do you think that works? Cause there's other guys who say very direct and sure. difficult things and, um, I don't want more. Sure. I, I hope that, and, and again, I think some of this is in the land of mystery, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel in my heart a genuine love for the listener. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel some angst in my heart for their soul, for the mind, for the gladness of God I have found yeah. uh, in the things that I'm preaching about and the um, satiety of soul um, that I've found in like what I was talking about here, yeah. um, the, the intellect cl- you know, clashing with the heart mm-hmm. and, and creating a, a real robust relationship with the Lord. And so um, I... I, I feel that love while I'm teaching. And so my hope is that what's happening is that although I'm being firm and direct, that my genuine concern for you mm-hmm. and my genuine hope for the fullest life possible for you yeah. is somehow the Holy Spirit's making that come across as I'm saying the difficult thing. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's what I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, has that grown in you, that. do you think? Um, yeah, I think it's present where I concentrate on praying myself hot. Um, and, and that's a term I got from Alistair Begg, but, um, trying to get my soul heated up in Mm -hmm. the Lord before I preach and teach and before, um, I lean into people, particularly if I know, um, there, there's an offense to it, um, that, that I might feel before I go out and say it. How it might hurt somebody mm-hmm. to hear it, yeah. uh, how it might attack the identity of someone, and and so that'll help me soften the blow by, by, by saying no, no, this isn't your identity. This is your identity, yeah. and uh, to talk about theological things in in light of I'm speaking to people made in the image of God, and I'm I don't want to win an argument here. I want to win people. Sure, and I think that's coached some of it. And then I think I've just grown over the years and, and going, oh, pushed a little too hard on that one and yeah. and created offense that wasn't gospel offense. Mm-hmm. It was just me um, being 
harsher than I needed to be. And, you know, again, whether it's church discipline or proclamation of the word, the, the goal is to win the brother. Right. And, and so to, to use that as my scorecard, mm-hmm. not, not that I spoke the truth, sure. but, but rather that the truth was received. Yeah. Um, and, and so that creates a specific tone and, and, and tenor, even, even if you're saying something that's hard. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I've never really wanted uh, accolades for, you know, being a, you know, like just fearless or anything. Yeah. I, mean, I just, I want to win the brother. Yeah. I, I want to convince you yeah. that this is true, right, beautiful, and good for you, right. for everyone. So and, then is there particular things that you would encourage uh, to help guys grow in that? Because mm. I think especially within our tribe, sure. within our network. Well, I think the thing to never forget is that, that people tend to not have issues with theology, but rather with issues of how that a thought yeah, theology hits their lives. Yeah. And so if I say something about election or mm-hmm. predestination, someone comes up to me after one of our mm-hmm. services and they're bothered by it. My guess is that more than they have a trouble with the doctrine, they have trouble with the fact that their mom or their dad or their sister or their brother, or their husband or wife isn't a Christian. Totally. And that that seems that God is so cruel then mm-hmm. that, that this is. And, and so I found that in that moment, if, if I'll simply begin to, minister to their hearts yeah. and and say, but brother, sister, th- this gives us the greatest confidence that God is able to save. Like if your daddy mm-hmm. is indifferent, God doesn't need your dad to be interested in order That's to say this is good news. Yeah. And and then lead us into a time of just praying for their lost brother, sister, mother, father. Now, if it's a kid from the seminary that just wants to argue, I'm just not even having the con- I mean I'm just not that I'm not having that conversation. Yeah. I'm I'm just really not. Um, I haven't invited him to the church to change or challenge our theology. He doesn't right. have to join. He doesn't have to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but member of the church or lost man or woman or infant Christian yeah. that, that struggles, then, man, I, I found that's almost always a heart issue and a life issue. Now, mm-hmm. in academia, in, up in the tower, you're like, well, they should deal with truth. Right. But in reality, right. we're to shepherd them towards it, right? I mean, yeah. the, my, my role is much more uh, uh, one of a surgeon than, than it is you know, a butcher. Sure. Um, my job is to cut gently and to make sure there's health on the other end of it, not to perform terrible surgery by demanding that people be something or understand something that they're just not there. Like I don't, I don't expect my five-year-old to act 12. I don't, um, she's going to act like a five-year-old and I need to address her as a Mm five-year-old and I need to move her along in maturity, understanding that she's a five-year-old. I don't just demand that she acts like an adult right? and that if she can't, she just has to deal with it. You know, I mean, that's not, Nobody does that. And so my hope would be, you know, regardless of topic, and, and it, maybe it's not just theological, maybe it's even issue-based. You know, when you mm-hmm. talk about homosexuality, you better be, you, yeah. you better understand you're talking about people and people yeah. in this culture and society who have made their entire identity stand on I am this. Right. And, and man, you, you just carelessly address that mm-hmm. or you're some idiot who makes a gay joke or speaks with a lisp in your sermon. Right. I mean, you're, you're attacking what someone understands to be their core identity. Yeah. It's just poor stewardship and foolish teaching and preaching. It's not thought through. You're not stewarding well mm-hmm. what God's called you to. Then yeah. again, we win the brother. That's the hope. And we know we're not going to win all of them. Yeah. So I know I'm going to get, I know some, every weekend someone's going to be really frustrated at what I said. Somebody's never going to come back to the church. Somebody's never, um, 
But by not being direct, I'm not going to have any shot at winning them either. Sure. Um, and and so I'm just going to preach the word of God and lean on it and say it as compassionately and understanding it with great understanding I can. And yeah. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Yeah. So. Yesterday you talked about <clears throat> self-awareness, did such a great job unpacking that. Um, and I think some of what you're talking about demands a level yeah. of self-awareness really and growing does. in that. So without unpacking everything that you talked about yesterday, just why do you think self-awareness is such an important characteristic in pastors or leaders? Yeah. I I mean, we could go back to even some of what we just talked about before this. I I think the tendency now because of the availability and access to listen to guys and to look at guys' ministries and to, is to look at that and go, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. So there's no, how am I wired? How has God gifted me? What am I naturally inclined to? What comes easy to me? But instead we go, I want to be what I'm not. And and then we begin to pursue. And when you do that, you make a mess of just about everything you touch. So, um, and we found this even in the network where you have guys that are really gifted organizational leaders, but they don't want to lead that way. They, they want to be the lead teacher or preacher, right. but they're not good teachers. They're not good preachers. Yeah. Um, or you've got guys that are good teachers and preachers that just demand to have their fingers in everything, including the organizational structure built out. <laughs> and, and then you end up with skyscrapers with no toilets and no elevators, yeah. right? right? And um, so, so I think that's where self-awareness really, I mean, you need to be who God's designed you to be. And he has, I mean, this is Acts 17, this is Psalm 139. You've been woven, knit, uniquely designed, uniquely placed. And, and God hasn't made any mistakes with that. Sure. Uh, and the whole number one, number two, you mm-hmm. know, big L leader, small L leader, yeah. um, you know, all, all of that I, I think is fun to talk about, but, yeah. but in reality, knowing who you are, embracing who the Lord's made and then seeking to become the most sanctified version of you, the most gifted version of you, you can, while knowing there are areas that are always going to be harder for me, areas that I'm never going to be great at. And, and so, and there's someone out there that who, if they are great at that, it brings them a great deal of joy. And, and I should celebrate, find that person and, and show them honor and give them the freedom to run. Yeah. One of the things that is challenging about helping people grow in self-awareness is you have to possess a level of it mm-hmm. to know that you need to grow in it. Yeah. I feel like if you uh, think that you're self-aware and you're not yeah. like, and blind to that and lack the humility for anyone sure. to be able to tell you, that's a deal breaker as far as you growing in self-awareness. There's no doubt. Really self-awareness and digging into your soul. I mean, it the, the very foundation of that is humility. Yeah. That, that it's a, it's an admission that what the Bible says about my heart, that it's deceitful above all things mm-hmm. is true. And, and therefore I shouldn't be too quick to trust what I think about myself. Yeah. And, and so I'll talk about this in our next session, but, but there's internal calling and there's external calling and you, you might feel internally called and externally no one affirms that call. Yeah. And that's your first little hint that, Hey, I'm not self-aware. Yeah. And, and so the thing I'll say to young men who come up to me is just, I, I feel real, I feel called to preach the word of God. I feel called to lead men. I mean, I almost immediately want to go, okay, where are you doing that now? And who is watching you do that and saying, man, you've got a gift. You've got, it's, it's apparent that God's moving in your heart yeah. in this way. And man, I'm, I'm not even shocked anymore at how often they're not doing that anywhere. Right. No one's affirmed that they're not even in a church. Yeah. Um, you know, because their church was lame or their pastor <laughs> wasn't, you know, theological enough or there right. wasn't. And 
So, man, I'm just going to dismiss. I mean, if you're listening to this, I would just totally dismiss you if you came up and said that to me. Yeah. I mean, I got started teaching fourth grade boys Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, that's where I started. Yeah. Fourth grade boys Sunday school class. Yeah. And and along the way, people just affirmed it. Yeah. Hey, Chandler, you've got a gift at this. You, you've got, God's got his hand on you in this area of your life. Can you continue to grow? Yeah. And even some general rebuke. Hey, I wouldn't go that far. You need to study more. Right here, you don't quite know what you're talking about. In fact, I've used the... Uh, the J.R. Vassar story a bunch yeah. in Acts 29 circles where he yeah. said, hey, it's just so evident that you're you're comfortable and you're funny and mm-hmm. you're engaging and people like to listen to you. Um, have you ever read Hebrews chapter 11? Because <laughs> right. the way you just preached Hebrews chapter 12 <laughs> lends me to believe you've never read chapter 11. <laughs> right. and, uh, and so, but I mean, we can laugh at that, but that was a rebuke yeah. and it was a gentle rebuke and yeah. uh, it was one that I needed to hear. And um, and, and I'm grateful to God that, that he gave it. And yeah. so the external... The, the external call comes when people affirm. Yeah. Uh, and then even when people go, there's something there, but that that's part of it too. And all of this sure. kind of just continues to, to make you lie low and exalt Christ. Yeah. It's a good right thing. Totally. On that topic of preaching, you're one of the most downloaded influential preachers of our generation and for good reason. But you know that you have a whole new generation of young mm-hmm. men listening to you. And um, in in some ways, for right and wrong, modeling a sure. preaching style uh, after you. I'm interested to hear you talk about what are some of the things that are about your preaching style that you don't believe should be replicated. Yeah, I probably where I've personally battled the most is around humor, and and what I mean by that is not that I don't think I think we need to be who we are. I'm I'm just witty by nature. Um, and so like, I don't ever go in the pulpit and go, Oh, I got a great joke here. Or, I yeah. got a great, I mean, I literally, you can read through all my notes yeah. and I would look, um, far more serious than, than you would find me if we hung out okay. and not, not about the things of the Lord, but about, yeah. um, just, I like to have fun. I like to laugh. I, um, I, I mean, I just think the gospel creates that and us, draws that out sure. of us gladness and, um, feel like I'm full of gladness, but. I think there have been times where there was weight in the room and pressure in the room and I should have left it there. And instead I made some snarky comment and everybody laughed and I eased the tension of the Holy Spirit doing good work. And so I've had to guard that myself and I've had to, um, a kind of rule I'm trying to operate and I'm I'm growing in this is if if the text isn't really funny, then I probably shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, So to give you an example, I was talking about the last three chapters of, of Job. And that that moment. Not a lot of funny in Job in general. No, in general, in general, <laughs> yeah. not exactly the the part where his wife you know, yeah. rebukes him. I've always kind of chuckled. I was like, man, this brother cannot. But it's not funny. It's just kind of sad, right? Sad, funny. Yeah. Like killed this man's dog and his kids and left the wife. This, this is part of it too, right? This is part of yeah. Job's world falling apart too. Is the wife remained, but uh, the near the end of the chapter and. Um, God finally responds to Job right out of the whirlwind, dress for action like a man. I'll question you and you can answer me. Yeah. And I, I was kind of just reading through those things, that cadence of God going, where were you? Surely you know where you, and I just made a couple of jokes as I read through it. And I realized in the middle of making those jokes that this would have been just the most terrifying, yeah. frightening thing ever. Yeah. And, and then I went, dang it, I should have read it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should have cut Matt Chandler. That was Matt Chandler sticking his face in here. Yeah. And, and I should have cut that out so that the word could bear the weight of the word. Yeah. Um, and I'd made something funny that wasn't funny. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm trying to grow like that. I don't know how well I'm doing. Um, but I think that, you know, I, um, 
a subscription to Comedy Central and a Bible doesn't a good preacher make. That's good. Um, and so um, I think that's an area that men should just be careful of. Yeah. Should be careful of. I'm not saying don't be funny because that, that idea of don't be funny was really enslaving to me early on as a young yeah. preacher. Because yeah. my heroes were like, we don't make jokes. Yeah. If something funny happens, then great. But right. stand on your personality you don't want them to, to see you. You want them to see the right. Bible. You want them, and um, and that just sounded so good. Yeah. And then I'd get up and prepare it. I'll be serious. And I'm like, and that reminds me, the other day, I was like, no, 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 don't do it. It's too late. I got to go. And, uh, and then I'd feel really defeated and yeah. self-condemning. And um, and then I just realized Piper's not funny. He, he can't be, even if he tries to be funny, it's serious. Right. And, uh, and, you know, those guys who I was kind of just checking where the wind was blowing and getting behind them and seeing, um, I just realized I need to be me and I, I, I need to use who God's made me to make much of Christ yeah. uh, as he has wired me. I don't need to feel the constraints of someone else's style or someone else's um, belief about things that are these gray wisdom issues in the word of God. And the, the arguments I think I always thought fell flat. I was in uh, Australia and I was sitting down with a couple of brothers who are... Um, uh, one of them in particular was a great guy. The other one was really tight. Uh, and they began to talk about Dick Lucas. And Dick Lucas was, um, it was all in this kind of conversation about humor and personality in the pulpit. Yeah. And they began to talk about Dick Lucas, who was at, um, pastored a church in the in the business district of a St. St. Helens in the business district of London. Okay. And so the whole thing is you don't want you, you know, you want it to be about Jesus. You don't. And then for like 45 minutes, these two brothers, I'd never even heard of Dick Lucas. Yeah. Start talking about how brilliant Dick Lucas was, how he never did this, how he never, you know, he always did this. He would never, he would just, would be appalled by this. And it just struck me. And here we are talking about Dick Lucas at lunch. Yeah. 20 years later. Sure. You know, about how he didn't. So men are going to exalt men. This is not a new issue. Right. Um, and so we need to do all we can to turn eyes to Jesus Christ. But but we don't go, I'm not going to be me and I'm not going to use the personality. The, my personality is the one thing that has to be removed from preaching and right. teaching um, in, in order to serve Christ faithfully in the proclamation of his word. Right. But then I don't know what you do with the personality God's given men. Sure. Like God needs or wants that lecturer intellectual approach, the church, the bride needs that. Right. But that's not all she needs. Um, and that's evident by how God's designed so uniquely all these different ways of communicating to the body. And you can see throughout history, like even Lewis, like Lewis would get attacked for being too casual. Hmm. Now people now read Lewis are like, Jesus dude's freaking brilliant. Right. But he was accused of writing in the common language. Yeah. And so he's so like, well, yeah. yeah. And that's so, it, this isn't new. It's just right. our turn. Yeah. I mean, that's how I look at it. Even the authors of scripture, like personality comes mm-hmm. through in each of the different writers. So yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah. One of the things that's unique about you is you seem to have favor with a very wide and diverse audience. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, I remember James McDonald told me one time, he's pretty convinced you could walk into any room of like a thousand people and everyone will love you regardless sure. of like, depending, on topic, yeah. depending on topic because I've walked into rooms with over yeah. a thousand and it's yeah. ended very very poorly and publicly yeah but one of the things I've admired is there, there seems to be attempts that you make to cross what we might call tribal lines yeah. and um, I'm curious why yeah. why you do that uh, how you would encourage other people in yeah. whatever sphere they find themselves in what's the value in us working to do that. Yeah. Well, I think 
first of all, I'm almost always uncomfortable when I cross lines. Like I'm, I'm just uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and what I've got to do is go, okay, am I theologically uncomfortable? Am I philosophically uncomfortable? Or is this a practice issue? That's a great question. Um, and, and so if it's a theological issue, that's a far more serious issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's just philosophy and practice, I probably just need to breathe, chill out and learn yeah. all I can. Yeah. And, um, so the, the reason I want to cross lines is as often and, and as I'm able is that I think they're Christians. Yeah. I think they're, I mean, it's just that simple. I yeah. think they're Christians. And since they're brothers and sisters, since they're heirs of God and co-heirs uh, with Christ and me, mm-hmm. um, then I want to, I want to understand where, where I do strongly disagree in philosophy and practice. I need to figure out, is this personal preference? Is this doctrinal? What is this? And, and then what I've found is that I tend to really start liking some of them and their zeal for Jesus. Yeah. And um, I have found that the gateway um, through which really ridiculous ideas come through is the deep desire to see people become Christians. Yeah. So that so much of what I think is borderline heretical, if not crossed the line into heresy, really has as its roots, we want to see people love Jesus. Sure. And so um, to... To learn the hearts of, and then as a friend, be able to say, brother, which Jesus, though, are you introducing them to? Sure. And, and is this discipleship or conversion? See, these aren't, these aren't conversations that can take place on blogs, and, right. and I can't take shots. In fact, one of the reasons I love A29 is philosophy and practice varies wildly Big across time. the spectrum. <clears throat> but theologically, we'd be aligned. But even in the practice of, say, complementarity, yeah. we're, we're all over the map on yeah. that. Um, but we believe in male headship. We believe in females flourishing in their gifts. But how do we practice that right. at, on, on the ground? Yeah. And so that it makes it really difficult for me to attack straw men yeah. because I know Jonathan Dodson. I know missional community guys. Sure. I know house church guys. I know, and, and they love the Lord and their faith. They love the Bible like I love my Bible. Right. And and their their practice and their philosophy is just different than yeah. mine. And um, um and so crossing lines helps me that yeah. way. And then I think there's some things that we needed to learn um, organizationally and structurally that I, that yeah. I thought were helpful. Yeah. Um, it is difficult because I grew up in a very different camp and yeah. tribe than what I live in now. And uh, one thing that I've always found difficult over the last five, six years kind of living in a different world is the amount of uh, cynicism sure. that is in our camp toward people in different tribes um, and almost this sort of assumption that, that there is no sincerity in what they're doing. And I think that's, I'm thankful that I kind of grew up in a, in a different world because I've known people and still know I have friends in that world that are constantly criticized and no man, they love Jesus deeply. And let's, let's quit pretending that there's no one in our tribe that, that has bad motives and that I mean, that's just absurd. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of tribalism that I think stunts. Yeah. Um, so when are, when are for you, what are the things that we should draw lines on? I know that that's kind of a yeah, in-depth I, uh, question. You know, I don't know that I've got some real clear cut answer on that. I almost take it, you know, via invitation yeah. and, and temperature and, and what's going on in that season. I, I tend to stay far away from anything that smells of prosperity gospel sure. to me. Yeah. And, um, but but I also 
I also learned uh, a long time ago that, I mean, I'm just, for some people, I'm just, I can't win for losing. Yeah. And I mean, if I go to anything that's not T4G or TGC, then uh, I'm going to be viewed as a sellout. And yeah. so um, I've just kind of come to peace. Did you get that a lot? Being an orphan. Doing uh, anything else? N- not so much anymore because yeah. I think people have just figured out I'm going to do those things. And um, I, I kind of like being a bit of an orphan and having some people in this tribe a little nervous about me and some people in this tribe a little nervous about me and some people in this tribe a little nervous about yeah. me. And uh, it, that's a lonely place to be, but I think a good, I, I hope it's a biblical place to be. Yeah. So strong prosperity gospel, I would stay away from anything that just stands in stark contrast to historic Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. Uh, I'm just not, I'm not in. Yeah. I, I just don't know how it would go well. Right. Um, it's going to end bad. Yeah. It's going to end bad. You're going to be frustrated at what I said. I'm going to be confused at you being frustrated at what I said because you knew who I was and that's why you invited <laughs> me and I just said the stuff I always say. And, right. <laughs> um, and so it's just best in those situations to go, I'm, I'm probably not your guy. Yeah. Um, you know, Godspeed. But I just, because of, and man, trying to be a loving brother, just going, man, because of where you land here, it would just be really hard for me. Yeah. And, um, and man, just, it's funny that most people do not understand that. Yeah, they sure. just don't. Yeah, they just think that's such a secondary issue. Yeah, and you know, you just get to go. Well, I don't know the Trinity secondary. I think that's probably <laughs> yeah, right in the middle. That's pretty of, big. Right in the middle of what we believe. Right. So, uh, so, but you know, I've, I've spoken at things that also women have spoken at. Yeah. I mean, that's not a to me that's not a dividing issue. Although I yeah. feel very passionately about right um, where I land on that in regards to what the Word of God yeah. says and how God designed. In fact, I'm teaching through that right now at the village. Yeah. One thing I've always been interested by <clears throat> is I, when we plant the redemption, I planted with some of my closest friends mm-hmm. and, uh, I've heard people say you can't plant the church with your friends. Mm-hmm. And actually the very first time I met you was at the Louisville boot camp. Yeah. And, uh, I came up and asked you that question. And, uh, so I'm curious how you guys have gone about since you work with some of yours, I understand it, some of your closest yeah. friends, how have you worked to balance the tension between being both yeah. boss, lead pastor, even in the midst of plurality yeah. and friend. Yeah. It, you know, by the grace of God, it hasn't been, it, it's, it's created a couple of conversations over the years that were interesting to navigate. And, um, and there've been a couple of times I've just had to clarify that I'm not asking. Yeah. I, I wasn't asking. I, I wasn't asking you to do that. I was telling you that that needed to be done. Yeah. And it, there's one guy in particular I've had to say that to a yeah. couple of times. But he also is the guy that if I say things to him as a friend, he responds really well. Yeah. But the second I put my hat, my you know, my boss hat on, he kind of shrivels up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is is because he was one of the first guys there with me. Yeah. And so he was there when the formality was near non-existent. You know, sure. There were no policies and procedures like, hey, I'm going to take vacation. Mate, you do that, buddy. <laughs> and, I mean, there was just no, you know, hey, haven't you already gone on vacation this year? Yeah, but it's right. only three days. Oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah. And, I mean, there were no systems, no structures, no right. policies and procedures. And so... As things grew formalized, and there were now formal channels, and then you know the 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 originators they, they want to continue to operate like they did, right? You know, but at 140 people on staff, I mean, we just can't do that. Sure, I mean, there's just no way if if the originals started coming in, it's like, hey, I'm on vacation, then I'd be like, okay, <laughs> like, hey, um, we got Village 101 that week. Everyone, all hands are on deck. Hey, never mind, you know. So it, it's got to come up through right channels, and, yeah. Um, and so I, I mean, I've just tried to be a good friend and at yeah. the same time clarify if it's not clear yeah. that I'm, I'm not asking you on this one. And, um, and again, we haven't had a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I think maybe that's just the grace of God on yeah. this, but 
You guys have been friends for a long time before, right? Yeah. I mean, we, Josh and I, Patterson and I met in college. Okay. Um, and then Bleeker and I had worked together for over a year before I came to the village and then hired him on about three months after that. Okay. That's so. great. And then they're still with you. Oh, yeah. I, awesome. I think those two in particular will be with me to the end. Yeah. And then a, another guy named Brian Miller. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. I think those guys will. And, man, we've vacationed together. And Patterson and I, are, are we carpool the kids to school. So my wife takes the kids and his wife picks them up and brings them home. That's so, awesome. um, yeah. Uh, you, the Village Acts 29, um, in many ways are uh, definitely a leading factor in this new resurgence of Reformed theology. Um, and so I'm curious what you're encouraged by yeah. in this. Is it's, And I'll ask what you're discouraged by as well. We'll start positive. Sure. Uh, but what are you really, as you kind of look at this movement and resurgence of Reformed theology, um, gospel centrality, yeah. all of that, what do you see right now that you are really encouraged by? Well, I'm, I enjoy what appears to be um, the recentering of preaching on the Word of God. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I think we went through that season where there were just so many bells and whistles and lasers and fog machines. And, and listen, if you want to do that with the word of God, then I say, light it up. Yeah. But, um, but at the, the, the act of preaching is the opening up of the word of God and the proclaiming of the very words of God. Yeah. And, and if that's just a little, you got this cool idea, so let's do all this, and here's a Bible verse, yeah. then man, what loss yeah. is there in that? And and there just appears to be in our tribe and in others, um, it, it looks like there's a recentering um, going on. And and I think there's all sorts of things leading to that. Yeah. Um, I, I think what you'll find um, as secularization and especially this question of homosexuality and, mm-hmm. and gay marriage kind of comes to the forefront um, is that conservative, word-driven churches are going to explode in size yeah. um, as Christians try to find a place where they can be well-fed. Yeah. Um, and then my hope is um, that that missional edge, that that coming out of this, you know, the, the session before last, that yeah. barbarian missional, we want to see people know Jesus Christ, yeah. um, comes with them as yeah. those churches swell yeah. and don't instead become insular, kind of protective high walls, Let's protect the purity of the church type sure. of nonsense. What are then on the other end of that? What are some things in the movement that you have some concern about? Well, I hope that we're outgrowing them. Um, and, and I think if you study movements, you'll, you'll find everybody's got that, you know, I think we've called it a puberty phase yeah. um, in, in years past. But I think we're growing out of some of it. But, it, but again, I think, like I said in, in my first talk, an intellectual understanding of the doctrines of grace without an experience of that grace always leads to a man I would never hire at the village church mm-hmm. good. to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't hire that dude to mop floors. Yeah. Um, it's cold, it's calculated, it's doubting, it's skeptical, it's angry. It's mm-hmm. um, And so I, I don't see as much of that right now um, as I did maybe five years ago. Um, but that, that was my primary concern early yeah. on, is the disjoint between yeah. um, the heart and the head. Yeah. And you would, I would never, I, like I said, I just passionately, there's a intellectually doctrine matters. Yeah. Um, but you also have to understand it in your heart. Sure. And, and I, how you separate those two is, yeah. I know there are all sorts of ideas about yeah. the head and the heart, but... 
meditating, thinking, praying, fighting for your guts to get what's in your mind. Yeah. Um, I think should be a constant fight of all men and women of God. There's been a couple times where you've hit on the topic of homosexuality and what a hot button issue that yeah. is, which it obviously is. And I'm curious, you know, as we're having this conversation, there's all of this conversation around uh, Hillsong and sure. their kind of non-answer. And yeah. they've received a lot of criticism for that. And Brian Houston came back with clarification yeah. and there's been more criticism on top of that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. Um, without necessarily asking you to speak to the particulars of that situation, is is there something to being careful uh, about how we answer questions about that in in these condensed settings where you don't necessarily have the opportunity? Like yeah. you did a you did a handful of seminars a few years back on homosexuality that were brilliant, more but it was also that. like three or four hours long or yeah. something like that. So when we don't have that kind of time, is it necessarily um, dodging the bullet or See, to, I, to be I careful? Just, I mean, I, I watched that unfold and I, would, I mean, I was like, gosh, I probably would have answered the same way. Yeah. I mean, I answered the same way. I mean, you, first of all, you're, you're talking about a media that's not going to be friendly towards your statement. Sure. I mean, they're not even going to coach it the way. And it was Christian people that coached it poorly yeah. even to begin with, or, yeah. or at least that's Houston's accusation. Yeah. It, it wasn't even the secular media that, that took it and and butchered it, right. right? It was his own people. Sure. And um, so I think there's absolutely, and, and not just on homosexuality, but on all sorts of different issues. They, they require pastoral touches. They require, so um, I baptized uh, a guy two weeks ago in our 715 Saturday night service. And one of the guys that went before him told the story of being molested by his dad and that, that that molestation got more and more aggressive and that he had given himself over um, mm-hmm. to homosexuality and, homo- and, and just was busted and broken and mm-hmm. was hooking up with guys on Craigslist and then one went really, really bad and he yeah. was uh, like hurt bad and it physically, emotionally, spirit, just wounded bad. Um, and then got invited down to Dallas. Somebody started bringing him to the village um, started feeling loved by people. He would confess where he was, and and man, they would talk to him about Jesus and and, and tell him, okay, this isn't you know the Lord has so much more. This identity is the wrong identity. This is what is identity in Christ. And you know, per his own testimony in the water, you, you know he that's the way it had to happen. Yeah. You know, if, if his first introduction um, to the village church was a public statement that we're against homosexuality and gays. Yeah. He's never going to come in the door. His right. very identity is this who I am. They hate me. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think you've got to be really, so we'll do position papers because lost people don't go to church websites looking for position papers. <laughs> right. Christians do. Sure. Um, and so we do position papers. So you can go read where we land on homosexuality, where we land on whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't know that I would answer a public statement like that. Yeah. I, I would be far more careful. Yeah. And then you just have to survive the wave of criticism. Yeah. But I wonder if those churches, sometimes I wonder, are, are you ever even around lost people anymore? Yeah, definitely. I mean, do, do you have anyone, do you have a friend or right. um, a neighbor that you spend any time with right. who's blind, spiritually blind? Yeah. Um, it's like we've forgotten. Like, there's something that happens to you when you talk with lost people and you hang yeah. out with them and you see what their objections are and you see really how much hurt is there and... Um, that that will create in you a way yeah. of of operating that I think is helpful and, sure. and I would even argue gospel driven. Yeah, 
It's a different world when you sit across the table from someone who is gay and wants to know what you think, yeah. looks you in the eye, asks you the question, puts you on the spot. And uh, I wonder if the number of people with all of the criticism have ever had to have that conversation, yeah. not even just from the pulpit, but looked a guy yeah. in the face. Well, see, this is the problem. The, the problem is he'll get in the pulpit and then go on blast yeah. and, and won't consider that he's talking about real people yeah. like this guy that we just baptized at the village who'd been raped by his daddy right. from 4 to 15. Right. Um, and and so to refuse to enter into that brother's pain yeah. um, and to heap onto it, I'm just trying to get my head around how a pastor thinks that God would approve of that or yeah. would delight in that. And yeah. I know what the Word of God says. Yeah. Um, so you couldn't lecture me on truth and, and the meaning of truth or that... Um, the, the role of the church historically has been a place of spiritual formation, not evangelism. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've just heard all of those arguments. Yeah. Um, there seems to be such a lack of uh, awareness and grace around uh, most of the people writing blogs criticizing Houston are never going to sit in a press conference. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and man, the stress of that is no excuse not to be truthful and to stand yeah. on God's word. But, um, man, I wish there was more of that. Yeah. Just taking that into consideration, like I can't imagine what it must be like to sit... And to and, field those questions in this that context. Is, this is honestly just epidemic everywhere. It's not just the Christian community. This sure. is just the air we breathe. Yeah. This is the back edge that the internet brings. So you got all these excellent things that the internet has brought us, and you got this back blade from pornography to this type of hypercriticism that, I mean, you, a mob mentality online where there is no repercussions, yeah. where there is no, I mean, death threats and everything else and yeah. nothing ever comes of it. Yeah. So it's crazy. Well, thank you for your time. Well, I appreciate pleasure. it. And, um, just on a personal note, you've been a tremendous blessing to me over the years from a distance that, and man. got me through some very difficult seasons. I've told a handful of people this, but I would not have planted a church if it wasn't for you. Right. And I certainly wouldn't have planted the type of church I did okay. if, if it wasn't for you. So thanks for your faithfulness and uh, the way you love your family and uh, follow God. I appreciate that, brother. All right, man. Bless thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this first episode of In The Room. I would love to hear your feedback. So it would be so helpful to me if you could tell me what you liked and what you didn't like, uh, what's going to stick with you, and who would you like to hear from in future episodes. Now you can join the conversation using the hashtag In The Room. And as a reminder, you can find me at ryanhugley.com and also on Twitter at at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. Subscribe to the podcast and help me spread the word. We're going to be back in two weeks with episode number two and my conversation with Luke McDonald and Andy Razier of Vertical Church Music. I appreciate you listening and look forward to next time.